Welcome to Let's Get Writing, the podcast that explores the creative process of writing from books, scripts, plays, and poems to songs and blogs. This series focuses on authors, publishers, and artists. Catherine's guests share their process of writing in all its forms. Listen along to discover personal journeys behind their work, explore options from indie to traditional publishing, and learn tips and secrets to inspire you. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. I'm your host, Katherine Taylor, and we're coming to you from central Newfoundland, Canada. Now, this is a show all about the writing process from creation to publication. And here is where you find the stories behind the stories and meet the people who write the books. Now, my guest today was born in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, and grew up in Colonnette and Haricot. His passion for trains and all rail-related things was introduced to him by his father at a very young age, and he still rides the rails and photographs trains at every opportunity. Well, please join us as we look back at the days of rail in Newfoundland and meet my guest, Kenneth Piraway. I'm going to bring him right up on the screen. Hello, Kenneth. How are you? <laughs> oh, just a second here. There we go. When, when I'm my own technician <laughs> and host, it takes a little bit. I think we can hear you now. Great. Thanks, Great. Good. Um, so you're in CBS, which to Newfoundlanders is Conception Bay South. That's correct. Joining us from there. And your books are all about the trains in Newfoundland. And of course, as we know, trains and streetcars don't exist here anymore, but at one time they were quite uh, quite a much a part of our fabric and how we moved around and how we made friends even. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what inspired you to write these books? I'm just going to bring the images up while you do that. Well, Catherine, um, the first book, Streetcars of St. John's, that was inspired by my mom. Uh, mom was a Memorial University student back in the 1930s. And the only way to get around St. John's at the time was using the streetcar system. So later years, back in the 1970s, mom would talk to my sister and I, and she'd tell us these stories about these little red Bernie streetcars that ran around St. John's and all the different stops they'd make. So it was part of my upbringing to learn about these streetcars. And my <laughs> Uh, that was inspired by my other parent, my dad. Uh, dad loved trains, and growing up in Cornerbrook in the mid-1960s, he would take me down to the station when the passenger train would arrive. And at the time, we had two passenger trains. One would arrive around, say, 2.30, 3 o'clock, and another around 4, eastbound and westbound. Dad would take me down. He knew some of the engineers. The trains at the time were painted in a beautiful olive green paint scheme, and I just fell in love with it. That, that's where it all started. That's where it all started. And, you know, when I saw your book come across my desk, I spent a period of time where I worked with Via Rail Canada um, mm -hmm. in the, the public relations, corporate affairs, and as a spokesperson. And in that position, I got to find out that there are a lot of people like you all mm -hmm. over the world that absolutely adore trains and train travel and all aspects. And, and I encountered many of them 
um, during that job. And when the book came across my desk, I was like, oh, this is like a little step back in time for me to reconnect with, with that period and um, explore the fascination that people have with trains. So what do you think it is? Why, why are people so passionate about trains? Uh, Catherine, for one thing, you know, if you think about trains, it goes back to a simpler time in our lives. You know, you're talking pre-internet, pre-cell phones. Uh, people weren't immediately reachable. For example, to get across the island, even in the late 1960s, when we still had the caribou, which was also known some as the bullet, uh, it would take like 22 to 24 hours. Now, I mean, you know, people just fly everywhere. But one thing about train travel, it encourages conversation and encourages reaching out to people because you sit at a coach seat and you're alongside somebody. For example, if it's in Newfoundland, it could be a person that was on their way to Port of Basque. Uh, and you could be from like where I'm from here now in Chamberlain's. And you'd sit next to that person, and of course you'd exchange names and pleasantries, but train travel encourages communication. And it's it's so relaxing. You sit back, you watch the countryside go by, uh, you go to the dining car and you have a lovely meal in the diner. And, I, and in Newfoundland, apparently the best meals served anywhere in the province and the island at the time was on board the Newfoundland Express. Um, when trains arrived, like say at a station in Gamble, it was a big deal. People would come down to the station to watch everybody get off the train, seeing who's traveling, who's coming, who's going. And another thing too, uh, I've discovered when people rode our trains here, they dressed in their Sunday best. The ladies wore beautiful dresses and hats and coats, and gentlemen had to find the suits on. And when you went to the dining car, it was a really formal affair. You had silverware, you had fine china, and expertly cooked meals. It was, it was just a fun way to travel. And having gone across Canada twice myself, I'm a Canadian, I'm as Canadian, uh, I can attest to that. I mean, it's just such a relaxing way to travel. Uh, by the end of your journey, you know pretty much everybody on board the train. Well, I'm sure you would. <laughs> There's no question with your interest and your personality. And when you say that, the dining car is particularly special. And mm -hmm. at times, depending on the size of your party, you don't know who you might be dining with at all. It could be they could be from anywhere in the world, and you're looking out and seeing the scenery pass by. And I think I this in Europe, and I think you've done it in many places in the world. Tell us a little bit about it. You've, I haven't done the train trip that you had done in Canada. I've only had gone from Halifax to Montreal, but. Uh, how did it differ for you if you were taking that train trip in Canada and maybe over in Europe? Uh, the difference with the European trips, where Europe is so small, most major cities are reached within a couple of hours. And I, I know the first time we went to Europe, that was back in 1992, and we had a Eurail pass, which means we could travel on as many trains as we wanted in X number of days. Um, Catherine, the rule of thumb is that at any given train station in Europe, there's a train going somewhere. And so you could basically go and at the last minute decide. I know we were in Lucerne, Switzerland, and we'd seen everything that we wanted to see. We were on our way to Bruges in Belgium. But anyway, we had basically an afternoon of not really a whole lot to do. So we went to the train station, and we looked up, and we saw that there was a train going to a place called Basel, which is also in Switzerland. We have a friend, Basel. So we said, you know, let's just jump on the train to Basel to tell Basel that we could do this. And that's what we did. We went to Basel, and we had a lovely supper. And then we got back on another train, and by the next morning, we were in Bruges, in Belgium. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. The trains in Europe, too, I mean, you could literally set your clock line. 
I remember pulling into Graz, Austria, and I think our arrival time was 11.37. When the train stopped, you could see the clock just outside the window, 11.37, right on the bottom. Hmm. Oh, that, so was the, that was the bane of my existence, was the, the on-time uh, uh, tracking of the trains in Canada. Didn't always yes. look like that. <laughs> no, that's right. No. <laughs> but you painted a beautiful image when you said that people dressed up to go on trains and wore their Sunday best. And I noticed in the, many of the images, and I want to bring some of them up here and show them in the yeah. screen, um, that people sitting by the side of the tracks, I think there was a gentleman with a, a hat on and a suit and just sitting maybe on his suitcase. But in so many of the images, there were people. And it, it kind of brought back memories to me of uh, times that, um, you know, maybe times when, my, when I grew up and my, my parents, things that they did. So it, it, it is nostalgic. Maybe tell us a little bit about some of these photos here. Okay, sure. Well, this particular image now, this was taken on June the 19th, uh, 1956 by Robert J. Sandusky. Robert is widely considered to be a rail, the Canada's top railway historian and photographer, and he graciously wrote the foreword for my book. But this train here now, she's just left Portobasque, and it's pulling into St. Andrews. And if you notice the color, at the time, all these train cars in 1956 were painted olive green, which you see in its new color. Just five or six years earlier, each one of those cars were a beautiful red, which was the color of the Newfoundland Railway. And in my Stephen McCrossing shot, uh, you'll actually see the cars in that color. Well, I'm just going to go through. They might not be in order, but uh, that's a steam that's, locomotive. That's a steam locomotive. Uh, that was one of the Mikado engines. And this train is, is the number two eastbound. And that's the same train that you saw in the previous St. Andrews picture, taken by Robert Sandusky. This is the Port of Basque Yard. And in the, in the background, I don't know if you know, you can see the stack of the, state, the ship. That's the SS Cabot Street. And that's how people at the time came from Nova Scotia or anywhere in the mainland. Get to know. So that train would leave there and it would arrive probably 25 hours later in St. John's. This is at Harry's Brook. This is a beautiful picture. One of my favorites, actually. Uh, in the summer of 1956, a group of rail fans left Montreal. It was an organized trip. And it came to Newfoundland because it was the last summer of steam operations. And so here we have two steam engines pulling a passenger train, meeting one of our new brand new diesels head on. And uh, the gentleman, I actually know the gentleman in the picture. His name is uh, Burke Kelly. He was a conductor. And mm -hmm. my mother-in-law discovered that. Said, oh, look, that's Burke Kelly. So that's another nice thing about these pictures. You, you find people that you knew. There we go, diesel. And this is a diesel freight train. This train now is moving on. It's a, again, it's another red Robert Sandusky shot. It's taken at Harry's uh, Brook. And the train is pulling onto the main line. And the, pass the steam passenger train that you saw in the previous picture had already gone on. But these are the colored of diesels when I first discovered trains, and I love them. Uh, mm -hmm. This is an interesting shot. This is another Robert Sandusky. This is from July the 2nd, 1969. It's the very last eastbound caravan. So when that train leaves Port of Basque, uh, it'll arrive in St. John's the next morning, July the, the 3rd at 8 o'clock. But that's the last passenger train to pass them from there. Mm. And as a side note, my parents took me uh, to Bishop's Falls when I was, I was very young. It didn't, I was like, why am I doing this? Put me on the train and sent me back up to Grand Falls so I could say that I rode the newbie bullet. Yeah. <laughs> Which I did. <laughs> 
And for people who don't know, the bullet was called the bullet because it wasn't fast. It was no, on it, the bullet fast. Apparently it was a nickname given by some American serviceman because it was so slow. But you know, it's <laughs> interesting enough, Catherine, the bullet, even though it was scheduled for 22 hours, they did have some trial runs where the train could cross the island as little as 17, including all stops. So and it wasn't slow. As, no, as it wasn't people. always no but you know actually when i was i've seen some shots i think it was mont lingard had them in one of his mm -hmm. books where the gaff topsails and i've been up there um through the gaff the snow that they cut for these trains to go through in some ways it was amazing that they even got across the island it was uh, well the gaff topsails was like definitely one of the trouble spots not only just for mm -hmm. seeing but for the whole country actually and it was a decision to go across the gap topsail that probably led to the end, uh, the end of the entire system because the cost of snow clearing was so expensive that uh, it negated any savings by going across the topsail versus heading up north towards Halls Bay. Right. Let's see. We got a few more shots here. Oh, there's that's so scenic. I mean, we did it's, talk about the scenery. This is one again one of my favorite shots. This is from Robert Palmer. Robert's an internationally uh, renowned rail photographer. He shot all of Europe, North America, but he made a trip to Newfoundland in June of 1984. And this is near the Isthmus. And it's just I, I used this shot because I wanted to show how close the tracks actually came to the Trans Canada Highway. So for most of the island, the railway, uh, I should say the TCH parallels the railway. And um, except for between Deer Lake and Badger, it's 80 miles across the gas topsets. Done that run on a side-by-side. -side. <laughs> it, it, it's a good run. And uh, oh, here, and look right by the water, right by the ocean. Right by the water. This, this picture, this was taken, I think it's June 22nd, uh, 1967 by James A. Brown. James is another well-known, well-respected, uh, one of the greatest authorities on Canadian railroads and one of the greatest photographers that this country has ever had. And uh, James actually became a good friend of mine. He said that he's since passed away. But this was at Kelly Cruz Beach, and that's the train from Carbonair that's making its way back to St. John's. Little small G8 diesels there. But it's what I like about this, the people in the picture, where are they now? Oh, so, yeah, maybe I'll go back there for you. Sorry about that. I jumped in so here. There's, yes. tree, there's tree, looks like children are on the wharf, and you've got the overturned journey. Then you've got a gentleman who's probably their dad just watched the train go by. But yeah. I don't know if they've ever seen this picture or seen themselves because that was uh, close to 60 years ago, 55 years ago. Yep. Mm -hmm. They've been well grown up by now. And then mm -hmm. we'll move on to the, uh, there we go. Look at that. Now, is that like in the Humber? I, I don't know. I'm guessing. <laughs> that is at Kittysbrook East, it's called. Oh. And that is, that's from my very first train ride. That was April the 20th, uh, 1987. I found out that you could still ride a train over the gap topsail. So my uh, girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, we, we drove to Bishop Falls. We jumped on this train. We were the only passengers for the whole 138-mile journey. And that's a kiddie's book. And this is the spring runoff. But it's interesting, Catherine, when we left Bishop Falls, it was spring conditions. We get up in the gaff, and there's probably like still 10 feet of snow. Now we're on the downward side of the gaff, and the milk is started again. And by the time we get to Cornwall, there was no snow at all. You know, and that's typical of Newfoundland. The weather <laughs> is very variable depending yeah. on where you are or time of day. Oh, Holyrood. Yeah, this is a great shot. This was also taken in 19... Uh, 
67, June. It's by my friend John Tracing. And actually, where the uh, train man is leaning out and he's got some train orders, that's the same train that you actually saw in the Kelgor's picture a little bit earlier. So there's a gentleman in the middle. He's walking up, getting ready to light a cigarette. And the station agent is putting his hand out to take the train order. So a lot of human interest going on in this one. And a and lot of, course, of skill. <laughs> yes. Definitely. A lot of skill to make that pass off, really. Exactly. Because look, the train kept moving. So if you yeah. didn't make the contact, I don't know what they would have done. No. no. Well, they couldn't go off the track. Well, no. listen, <laughs> they have one direction to go. That's right. <laughs> Do you know that? Oh, beautiful, beautiful picture. Look at the road yeah. there. This is a beautiful picture. That's Riverside Driving Corner. But the train is almost in the corner. But that was September the 30th, 1988. That is the very last uh, scheduled mixed freight train to ever run in Newfoundland. It's engineer Pat O'Reilly. He's leaning out the window waving. And just behind him is a videographer by the name of Steve Bradley. And Steve was an air Canada pilot at the time. And he basically recorded uh, a video called The Last Days of the Newfoundland Railway. Mm -hmm. uh, a beautiful, beautiful shot. And this is the very last eastbound train into St. John's, ready to leave Cornerbrook, and I'm sorry, ready to leave Clarenville. And uh, again, it's another picture by uh, Steve Bradley. And it's just, uh, notice the, the clouds that captured the somberness of the moon because this, this was a sad day for railroaders and rail fans and, and Newfoundlanders as a whole. We, we lost our rail system, which ran for 107 years. And this was the last train into St. John's. And when you think of it, I like the the fact that now everything has to be on the highways here in Newfoundland it's it's you know if we had a had perhaps not that narrow gauge maybe the trains would still be running here and it and it would have been nice in many respects because when you travel um say even in Nova Scotia you know the trains still have the tracks and yes. they still you know they still carry a lot of freight in and out whereas here it's all on the highways, all on the roads. And uh... Catherine, that's an interesting point because even in the last summer of our operations, we had two trains a day, one going east and one going west, carrying roughly uh, 80 containers each, give or take. And uh, the containerization program was quite successful. But if you translate that to today, that's 160 trucks, 160 drivers, 160 tanks of fuel, plus the wear and tear that's on our highways. and, and in some research I did, I read that one tractor trailer way down over uh, a mile does the same amount of damage as 5,000 cars. So it takes 5,000 cars to run over that same piece of pavement to do the damage that one truck does. So mm. it's uh, there's a price to be paid. There is, don't we know it? But the railway came from England, and weren't they on narrow gauge at the at the time? Is that how yeah. we ended up with narrow gauge? We wound up at narrow gauge rail, a narrow gauge system. The fact that, well, first of all, we were a British colony. Britain provided us with some of the money to actually build our railway, but it was never intended to be a first class line. It never was intended to be standard gauge, which is what's used throughout the rest of North America. And um, the only thing was, it's been said. The railway was never intended to be a first-class line, but the people that ran it were. All the railroaders, they were so devoted. They loved the jobs. They worked hard. The, the locomotives, the, the people aboard the passenger trains, like the service that they gave the passengers was unexcelled or un, unheard of anywhere else. New, Newfoundlanders put their heart and their soul, the ones that worked on the railway, into mm -hmm. it. And uh, they, it might have been substandard, but it was plus standard 
but the way it was operated. A lot of passion. And uh, I know I did have the photo up, but here's the actual backwards to everyone. And the images in it, just to give you an idea, are, are stunning. And I can't capture that when I put them up on the screen. Um, so it's such a, a beautiful book to read. And uh, I know a lot of work. You mentioned some of the people you got photos from. Um, how, how did you begin that task? It must have been enormous. <laughs> you know, it goes back to Memorial University. I, uh, I was working on a social work project at the time, and I was at the Center for Newfoundland Studies. And I found this book by Omar LaValle, who later actually I got some of his work. Omar had a book called Narrow Gauge Railways of Canada. And in it were pictures taken from Newfoundland in the 50s and the 60s, which I learned for the first time that these professional rail photographers came here. Anyway, I remembered the name, Robert Sandusky, James A. Brown, amongst others. So 20 years later, when I started to work on my first book, Rails Across the Rock, this was back in 2010, 2011, uh, I said, oh, I'm going to see if these gentlemen are still around. So using Canada 411, I would pick up the phone and I would phone like a James A. Brown, who I heard was in Ontario. More often than not, I would actually get the actual photographer. And that's where it started. It started with reaching out to these guys by telephone. Started off with one image, a gentleman by the name of uh, Jim Scribbins rode our passenger train in 1966. I wrote him a letter. He sent me one slide, and that was the start. By the time I finished, Catherine, I had well over 1,500 images from the top rail photographers all across Canada, all across the USA. And I got to say, these gentlemen were just that gentlemen. They were so passionate and so kind to share their work. Uh, and their work is, speaks for itself. You've seen the pictures in the book. Mm -hmm. right? Just Absolutely. so beautiful. Captures Newfoundland as it looked like 50 and 60 years ago. It's amazing work. And of course, I do want to mention Flanker Press because they publish these books. And, yes. uh, and these uh, they do a lot of uh, books that reflect our history. And I know uh, Jerry Cranford's there now, but his father, Gary, that was sort of his passion when he envisioned Flanker Press. Yes. And boy, they, they sure are doing it. Yeah. Well, one of their mottos is uh, our authors make history. Yes, yeah. Well, now I want to move to the streetcars because okay. they're in Toronto, but you know, at one time they were here and you talked about that and that's this book, Streetcars of yeah. St. John's. And again, you did something a little different. You were able to do something a little different with this book. Okay, this book, it was done in a then and now format, Catherine. So what I did, the, the images that I collected, and I collected images from rooms, the city of St. John's archives, some people's private collections, uh, provincial archives. People were just so, again, so good. And I got to give a shout out to, to the late Larry Dowie, who at the rooms. Larry was phenomenal in, in, in providing me and giving me some, some of these pictures. So what I did is basically I recreated the same shot that was taken, say, in 1939, as it looks exactly today. So the two pictures were side by side. And it was a great comparison because it showed not just how much St. John's changed, but also how much St. John's stayed exactly the same. Mm. Actually, you did send me a couple of images, and I think I overlooked uploading them. So I'm just going to hold this up. You can see, for example, that would be more current, and yep. then here would be back in the day. Yes, in the exact same spot. And if you notice the, uh, the building on the far right, there's only a couple of pieces left. So there's the original shot. So on the far right of that picture... Mm -hmm. When you look over at the new one, you can see that whole block has been taken down. But that's yeah, what's that's right. the original shot. Yeah. Yeah. 
so again, the images, the images in this book, and uh, and and you um, dedicated each book. Uh, this one, I think, was dedicated to your mother. I this believe was, this one, yeah, and the other one to, to your father. Yeah. There we go. Which I thought, yeah. Was, yeah, she was quite passionate about the streetcars, I believe. Well, mom was an educator by training. She was a teacher by training. And then she also, too, became a social worker later, social worker later in life. But mom had great uh, oratorical skills and great writing skills. And she would tell us these stories. And that's that's why it stayed with me. It's part of my whole upbringing. So and to honor my mom, both my parents are gone. Uh, to honor my mom, I released that book. And it was to my dad. And it's... And, it's interesting that this week that you're showing up that picture because dad served in the Royal Canadian Air Force. He was overseas with Bomber Command. And so this being Veterans Week, it's uh, it's a nice tribute to dad. And the yeah. thank you for all he's done. And plus all these comments, because Catherine, the reason you and I are having this conversation today is because of all people like my dad and all those who served in World War II did. Mm -hmm. And you're right, we are recording this show. Uh, tomorrow will be Remembrance Day. The show yeah. will actually air a little later for folks mm -hmm. who are watching, but we did record it on, on the 10th of November. Um, now, what's next? Actually, I should say you've written four books. These are the two most recent, yes. but there were two that preceded these. I did, uh, my first book came out in 2013. It's called Rails Across the Rock, and it's a photo journey from Port of Bass to St. John's, done in a then and now format. And my second one was called Rails of Round the Rock. And it's uh, this time it explored the Newfoundland branch lines, the Argentia branch, the Carabiner branch, uh, the Grand Falls Central Railway, the Buckins Railway, the Lewisport branch, the Bonavista branch, and the uh, Stephenville branch. So it, it, it looked at the branches that expanded out from the main line that went from uh, St. John's to Port of Bass. Um, I've got lots of ideas for the future, and I still have a lot of material that really needs to be seen. Uh, these images, uh, a sad thing that's happening, uh, Catherine, is a lot of these photographers are passing away. Just this summer, two of the gentlemen who contributed to my book and, and were friends of mine had passed away. And, and it's, you get to know these people and, and know the goodness that's in them. And so that's a little bit sad. But uh, the story has to be told, and, and time is running out to tell it. But I've, I've got a lot of material left, so there could be something else in the works. Well, we, we sure hope so, and I suspect there will be. But also, people can reach you by going to Facebook. I'll yes. put the, um, in our show notes, for those of you who are watching this on TV, um, go to um, my page at YouTube, um, Catherine Taylor TV, or Facebook, Catherine Taylor Media. And in those notes, I'll have links to, to Kenneth's uh, Facebook pages. And that way you can keep up to date with all the current things that he's doing and sharing. Because I was on there. You've got a lot of great things on your Facebook pages. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I have two, my own personal one. And then I have one as a Newfoundland author. So both, lots of information on both. Yeah, there, there is. And I'm sure. And when I was on there, I think I saw a site that was something railways or rails.ca. There are sites all over the world similar. There are. There's a whole legion of rail fans with, with different sites. One is called railpictures.ca, and I contributed to that one. I, I just had an image approved and posted that I've taken myself. And, uh, Catherine, you were mentioned earlier about Flanker. If anyone is interested in obtaining any of my books, uh, they can contact Flanker Press directly. Uh, books are available at Coles, Chapters, Indigo, uh, the Down Home, uh, Costco. There's 
And they're going anywhere to be fine books are sold. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, I really want to thank you so much. And there was something I took out of your book that I want to end this show with. Uh, but thank you, Kenneth, so much for your story. And it was, you said, Tom Hanks. It was a quote from the Polar Express movie. One thing about trains, it doesn't matter where they are going. What matters is deciding to get on. <laughs> and on that note, we'll encourage viewers to check out trains whenever they can, wherever they can. And when they can't, check out your books. <laughs> thank you, Catherine. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. And thank you so much for joining us on Let's Get Writing. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought of this episode and share your ideas for future guests or topics. You can email us at letsgetwriting at katherinetaylor.ca. Don't forget to subscribe and even leave a review. And if you love this episode, share it with a friend. Until next time, believe in yourself and let's get writing.